Hey folks and welcome to another episode of the Mountain Bikes Apart podcast. I'm Colin Gray as usual and the Mountain Bikes podcast is about, I didn't even say the title right, I'm good to start there, Mountain Bikes Apart podcast is all about anything mountain biking, talking about kit, uh, reviews of uh, bikes themselves, of skills, of trails, anything mountain biking, anything interesting to the mountain biking community. And you can tell I'm a bit rusty in the intro there because we're on a season break because we're a few episodes um, down at the moment. We're about three or four weeks out, I think, from the end of the last season. But I thought we'd fill in a bit of the gap by talking to a friend of mine, Owen Phillipson, who is a, a completely self-professed bike geek himself, just like myself. Uh, so I'm going to find out a bit about uh, a few things from um, his cyclocross knowledge, his cyclocross experience through to strength and fitness and, and flexibility, how that helps him in his cycling, as well as maybe a few other things as well related to that, just around mental well-being, I think, Owen. Is that, what, uh, is that your kind of expertise these days? Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think uh, there's a few tips I've got along that side of things as well. But thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, quite uh, excited to be on. Uh, so I followed you for... Uh, probably about a year, I think. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting to get uh, your expertise on the mountain bike side of things. Like you said, I'm more of a cyclocrosser and a roadie, so uh, uh, originally. So I've, I've enjoyed listening to your chats yeah. uh, on your show. It's all bikes, though, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. I, I do give the uh, skinny wheels a bit of abuse every now and again in the show, but I, uh, I'm, I'm as, as prone to going out on the road bike as uh, a mountain bike these days, just because it's so much easier, actually. <laughs> yeah, and it's not to say that I don't mountain bike either. I think I, when I first got into cycling, um, it was uh, sort of rigid, chromoly mountain bike uh, was my was my first proper bike, and going up the Pentland Hills in Edinburgh um, with cantilever brakes, and uh, <laughs> I don't know how much it weighed, but it weighed a lot, um, and uh, right off of our doorstep um on the outskirts of edinburgh me and my wee brother had a pretty good uh pretty good little local set of hills to, yeah, yeah. to explore in um so so that was where i started so yeah. and then when i when i moved to where i am now in sterling um i had a bit of a break from cycling at uni and then time after that a few years where i wasn't really riding and when i moved to sterling um got back into mountain biking and uh that's another area where it's pretty, uh, pretty rich pickings um, in terms yeah. of trails. So you know, we always we're always threatening to try and get out, and you show me the uh, the hills are in Sterling, aren't we? But yeah. we've never quite managed it so far. But uh, you know, for anyone who isn't from around here, um, it's maybe not that well known, uh, not as well known as the big trail centres that you've spoken about quite a lot on the show. Mm. Um, you know, it's all well, it's virtually all kind of natural trails of different kinds there's one or two little uh gorilla built trails you know unofficial you know that kind of thing yeah yeah um, <laughs> kicking about which are sometimes in danger of getting kind of taken down by landowners and these type of things but it's mostly natural trail different types of wooded stuff and then there's a couple of big hills that you can go up um there's some uh, cliffs uh, north third uh, which is at the cliffs above our reservoir uh, behind uh, Canvas Barren, which is a village just to the west of Stirling. So there's loads of different uh, mountain bike playgrounds, if you like. Um, the thing with me was I just found my skills just weren't there really f to enjoy it. So it's quite kind of steep in places and rocky and rooty. And uh, for me, it was uh, just a wee bit too scary in, in <laughs> places to kind of, I felt I was falling off or. I think one of the things you spoke to with Tom Bell about, you know, 
stacking it going uphill at a very yeah. low pace and your <laughs> your 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 foot remaining in the pedal you know those type of little things where if you've got the skills it's not an issue so that was, yeah. what, was what I was suffering from so I um stuck to the roads when I when I got back into cycling about <laughs> this is when about eight about eight years ago um so I so I quickly kind of gravitated towards that See, I think that, I, I, well, I, yeah, I'm certainly not the most skilled mountain biker in the world by any means, but uh, I, I, I'm i not too bad, I think, and I still fall off all the time. <laughs> I feel like sometimes, not maybe not as much as I used to, but it's there's something definitely around, uh, I don't know, you, you always ride to your to the to the edge of your limits, don't you? So the better you get, it's just that you true, you fall true. off on trickier parts, I suppose, or, yep. or when you're trying harder, so... Um, yeah, maybe it's just about being uh, more, uh, more, more willing to fall over. Is that the only way you get better? Yeah. Is that how you get better quite, on a bike? Quite possibly, <laughs> yeah. Well, certainly for off road, yeah. Um, I guess if it's um, if it's natural terrain and there's quite a few sort of rocks and bits like that about, yeah. you know, it's sometimes those falls can be a bit unpleasant. So ah, there's I certainly know. a few bits that I just wouldn't ride. You know, going up, there's one of the hills I mentioned is called Demayat. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's behind the unit, Sterling University, and there's a, quite a few sections of that where it's it's quite a large, almost like a rock gardeny bit, uh, natural though. And uh, you know, there's some of the best guys uh, can ride up it and and down it. You know, um, Stu Thompson, for example, of um, Cut Media fame, the guy that films the Danny McCaskill videos, okay. is yeah. one one guy who lives around here, and he's someone who I've seen videos of him just kind of, uh, you know, that trials riding style of mountain biking where you can kind of hop and haul yourself up a particularly tricky bit. Yeah, um, yeah. He's he's one of those sort of really really good riders around here who can who can ride that um, that particular section. Um, and uh, yeah, I think if if we want to see what that looks like, I think if you hit um, uh, type Danny McCaskill Sterling mm -hmm. into YouTube, there is a video of him demoing an orange, a new orange five, I think it was, or it was an orange, a new orange frame that they they got him to ride um, and do a wee video around Sterling. That was kind of before he got really famous, super famous like he is now mm -hmm. um, and that's a nice there's a nice bit of him doing a bit of sort of downhilling and a few a few a few tricks kind of rolling across a few um things like fallen logs across a river and stuff and it's kind yeah. of foreshadowing of this of the sort of really daredevil stunts that he was starting to pull a bit later yeah um so that's quite a nice one just to see the area that i'm from and put it in context uh, with such a famous rider yeah yeah definitely that's cool yeah because it's like you said at the start it's just not a place that people think of as a mountain biking area we more think of uh, where you started out like edinburgh so pentland yeah. hills are pretty good but actually just south of pentland uh of the pentland hills of edinburgh is peoples of course with um two of the best trails in the country you've got yeah. interest and inner leaving so coming up to the central belt i think well north of the central belt i should say i've been kind of struggling to find any places i suppose i was spoiled like yourself in my youth so uh yeah even though yeah. we've got some good hills just in perth we've got the um Canoole hills which are actually there's some good mountain biking up there uh, and then across to creef um there's some good stuff across there as well and then sterling of course but it's just yeah. all sometimes i just feel like it's i don't know 
I just I just feel disappointed when I go out because it's just not people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, so Sterling Sterling's like a possibly an, an unknown or slightly underrated area. I think. I mean, like you say, you've got your big your big trail centers and your your famous areas and uh somewhere i think that if as a mountain biker you maybe need to take a little bit of time to get to know it mm-hmm. but for the the locals are definitely spoiled and i think they probably are quite happy that it isn't that overcrowded as well yeah, yeah. um but local riders i mean there is a a great local scene you could call it um with j- just with a lot of riders especially midsummer i mean you'll get sort of 30 riders at the top of the hill all who've come out with different wee groups and and they'll just be sitting up, up top of the hill in the sun if it's a nice yeah. night that sort of thing is not uncommon so yeah, um yeah. uh yeah cool so all right let's say uh, get over to so one of the reasons i wanted to talk to you on this was the fact that you're uh so you're a cyclocrosser that's your main sport isn't it yeah so yeah. I, i'm i went to that after doing road so and it was mainly that that's my main sport now i would say yeah right okay so what well, part of the reason I think I wanted to talk about it was because I keep asking you questions about it because I'm kind of interested. And I think the reason I'm interested right now is because when you get into the winter, obviously you can go out mountain biking. Mountain biking is a great sport to do over winter as well because it doesn't matter when it's rainy and muddy. It's actually kind of more fun because of that, uh, as opposed to road biking, I think, which just gets miserable in the winter, I'm, I'm led yep. to believe. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... For some reason, I, I'm not sure why, I find that the mountain biking events tend to dry up over the winter. So even though mountain biking is a great winter sport, you don't tend to get many races, you don't get many events yep. going on. Whereas cyclocross seems to kick in during the winter season, yep. or it yep. starts to get cold. So it feels every year I get to like September, October and think, maybe I should get in on this uh, cyclocross sport because you know there's a few races to go along to, events to go to. So... That's why I started thinking about it, why I thought it might be of interest to folk that listen yep. to the show. Uh, so, first of all, what I mean, what is cyclocross then? Talk us through it. Give me a wee uh, sort of few-minute uh, introduction to the sport. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it's definitely a winter discipline. So, the, the race season is, you know, I guess traditionally sort of October to February. Sometimes it stretches out a wee bit um, beyond that. Um, and so that's quite a defined time for the season um, I guess you could say the mountain bike season or the race season is more summer um, you know with the with the big UCI races and all yeah, of that yeah. um, and uh, I think so what cyclocross first came about was a way for road racers and track riders to keep fit over the winter mm. and um, it, you know legend has it it was just a, a challenge to get from village A to village B by any means necessary um, you know, riding through fields, hopping over walls and things like that. So it was, you know, that's where the sort of obstacles came into it. And uh, it was on drop, drop bar bikes with uh, slightly fatter tires. Um, and, uh, you, you know, a core part of it is that you have to dismount. You're at, the course should force the rider to dismount, you know, once a lap to cut, to get over some sort of obstacle, whether that's a barrier, uh, you know, just a plank of wood sometimes, or if it's climbing up a hill where it's, uh, it would actually be faster to shoulder the bike and just run up the hill. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, so it's a lap course. First of yes, all, how long yep. do the laps tend to be? So the laps are somewhere between, you know, seven to 
seven to ten minutes maybe okay so uh, quite short depend, standard. depends how fast you are but they're they're definitely a lot shorter than an xc course yeah yeah uh, yep yeah and it's it's the the senior disciplines are kind of one hour essentially plus plus one lap or um uh, something like that okay. whereas if you're you know some of the veteran categories or junior categories can be 45 minutes mm-hmm. it just depends on the age group and the the level Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's it sounds like it's a reasonably short, sharp type of race. Like you're doing yep. uh, quite quick laps. You're doing it a bunch of times, and it is less than an hour generally. Yep, yeah. and um, like like the cross country mountain biking, it's the it's that mass start. So it's the same uh, situation as that, where the gun goes off, and it's fast as you can with a big uh, bunch at the beginning so the the sprint is at the start is the is the thing there yeah, and um, yeah. you've got you know for the for the racers who are trying to win um, it's pretty key for them to you know to get into the first corner in a good position yeah. uh, so that's one of the, the key considerations if you're taking it seriously I think for everyone else um, and that, that's one uh, good thing about the sport especially in Scotland and I think also in England as well and in the US um, that there there's a is good particip- participation sport so the guys and women in the middle of the pack are you can race to compete with themselves or people of a similar sort of level yeah, and yeah. Uh, in, if you're getting all bunched up on the first lap you know somewhere towards the back then you know that's fine you can still enjoy a pretty hard race with people who are of a similar sort of level as you yeah. um, and still enjoy it yeah with laps that length you're not going to be left way behind or anything are you so you're going to yeah depends what sort of a race you're in i mean you know the the ones that i've done i'd certainly quite often get lapped especially if it is a short lap mm-hmm. if it's longer then it, you know obviously takes longer for the faster guys to get all the way around and lap people and well certainly when i was going well pretty fit then i might stay on the 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 lead lap like i wouldn't get lapped necessarily but you know that would be a good day for me um but i normally expect to be lapped probably by the fastest guys in the scottish races that is yeah so the terrain you mentioned a bit about it the fact that there's obstacles there yeah Uh, discounting the obstacles for a minute what are what's the sort of average terrain like so um i think to your typical mountain biker it would probably seem quite tame uh, so it tends to be you know grassy parks you, you've either got a grass surface or you know it may be a little bit of single track but the idea is that most of the course should be um, about three meters wide so that you can facilitate path uh, overtaking um, you know, there might be a little bit of single track it's not meant to be too extensive um, and then uh, sometimes you can get sand sections so, for example, uh, just this weekend past, one of the Scottish cyclocross races took place down at Irvine Beach. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got, you know, it starts on a grass section, you're up a hill, um, there's some muddy muddy sections, and then you go through quite a long uh, sandy uh, sandy section where, you know, your wheels are, your back wheels kind of skidding about all over the place. And right. you've got to really put power and control down to to get through that so those are are pretty tough um and then you you might get some pretty thick mud as well so it just depends on the condition so sometimes you're actually quicker to get off and trudge through that sloppy section and and carry it Um, (laughs) so uh, it's a massive variety then 
Yeah, I think, <laughs> yeah. The, the idea is that it is very varied. Um, so, you know, one from one course to the next, um, you know, what, uh, you know, some courses might have sand or thick mud, other courses might be pretty hard packed and smooth. Um, so again, this is similar to the mountain biking as well, where the tire choice, if you're at the the serious end of the scale, your tire choice can make quite a big difference. Um, if you're going to go for something much knobblier and softer, or or uh, something with less tread that you can run at a wee bit of a higher pressure, um, that's a, a key consideration as well. So yeah, yeah, it was the partly the kit actually that interested me about it too because I I've always I've always fancied a road bike because I have to admit. I, I, we're a bit jealous of how kind of sleek they look sometimes compared to our big uh, fat bikes. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but they just they just seem so spindly sometimes. You know, like you've got a road bike and you feel like it's going to break if you go over the tiniest uh, little pothole. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure that's not true, but they look like that. But the cyclocross bikes, I think, look quite cool because they're you know they just look a bit more uh, manly, shall I say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. The chunky tires. Yeah, and when I'm when you when I was I mean I mostly used that kind of bike for commuting, I suppose. And I'd like I like to I had a route from uh, my old house to my old work years back, uh, which had a bit of a walking track halfway. So it was like I, I could take that off if I had a cyclocross bike. That was when I first got one. Um, so yeah, I, I I quite like the bikes. They're quite they're nice yeah. looking and- uh, machines. It depends what appeals to your aesthetics and taste, but these days um, you get some pretty clean-looking um, cyclocross bikes as well because uh, generally you won't have bottle cages on, certainly if you're racing it. Okay. Um, I mean, if, it's yeah. a, if it's a commuter cyclocross bike, then you'll you'll have all these lights and cages and yeah, yeah. saddle pack and accoutrements, but for, for, the, for the race machine, um, you've got no cages, no spare tire, in the saddlebag, yeah. there's nothing on it, so it, it almost has certain elements of a track bike in that it's very clean and tidy looking. Nice. And also, yeah. you, there's quite a lot of single ring setups now that's uh, has come into fashion almost, if you like. Mm. So you've just got one ring up front, and uh, that's one less derailleur, um, you know, one less bit on it. So um, yeah, 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 that's pretty clean looking bikes. It's the same as the mountain biking, actually. I um, just upgraded mine to a, a single ring in the front and 11 speed at the back. Um, and it was definitely, when I was at Relentless 24 a few weeks back, that was by far the majority had that these days. It must have been like 80% or something. It was, yeah, so many people have got rid of those triple front rings. So if you want to geek out on the kit for a couple of minutes, yeah. um, you know, Cross has... Um, recently gone through a bit of an evolution in terms of the drivetrain Um, and I think it's adopted quite a bit of the mountain bike technology so with this single ring setup um, uh, you can now get one by 11 um, uh, drivetrains Mm -hmm. that give the same if not a greater gear ratio than you would have had with your two rings up front um, because they're using clutch mechs like Uh, you get on the mountain bike so um, there's a SRAM uh, cx1 group set um and i'm not sure what i'm trying to remember what the cassette ratio is but it's something like 32 11 or it's an enormous great range and does that sound familiar from mountain biking it does yeah i, I yeah. i'm not yeah hugely up on the the ratios but it sounds uh, yeah i can't remember what, i think mine was a 30 low yeah 11 that does sound really familiar to the so, one i got 
but something like that and so you've got this clutch mech that ha- that um, has two sort of uh, settings almost if you like yeah, yeah. And, uh, and your front ring's just your single ring and uh, that means you've got two you know it's like road bike brake lever uh, shifters and levers but only one of them is a shifter the other one is just a brake lever only because oh, okay. um, so, obviously you're only shifting it in yeah. the back so yeah. um yeah. then the other the other thing that's come across from mountain biking is disc hydraulic disc brakes so um and it's it seems to be an industry driven innovation if you like so as a yeah. way to sell more bikes and uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? Um, upgrade your frame to get the discs on it. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, there's no doubt that it, it provides better braking, especially in the wet. Um, yeah. And the best way to get that is a hydraulic system. Um, but I think maybe just the expense um, for a lot of people, it's just a wee bit too high. And also the tech hasn't. Uh, it took quite a while to get that hydraulic system into a road lever. Um, yeah, to okay. fit all of that yeah. tech into this little space, um, uh, it's taken quite a few years. So there's only there's only a few systems out that do that really well, right. and I think yeah. I think SRAM did have to have a big recall on them as well. So they they brought them out, they weren't ready, they had to recall them all, lost a whole bunch of money. But now they're they're out, they're they're quite widely used, um, and so that's trickle down from mountain biking to cyclocross yeah, uh, yeah. so tube the other thing is tubeless so uh, okay. tubeless tires are, are coming in quite a lot whereas traditionally the the tires were tubulars and i mean i think the professionals still probably mostly still ride tubulars just it's maybe tradition and it's maybe just the you know the handmade tubulars are the best quality tires out there that you can get but um for your everyday racer, then you know tubeless is probably equally common. I think for people to be riding, so and it makes yeah. sense. I think for that for cross as it does with mountain biking, where you know, your your tube, your punctures can get sealed and you can you can still run quite a low pressure. Yeah, uh, yeah, and all of those benefits. So yeah. cool. Well, that's interesting. Uh, the going nipping back to the the drivetrain you're talking about yep. the clutch now that's not something i've looked into much at all but i'm reading a bit about them what does that actually do then what, what's the difference uh, between having a well, clutch drivetrain i think you've i've almost reached the, the limit of my knowledge <laughs> on it already so i'm making it sound like i know i know exactly what i'm talking about but as far as i understand it it ha- um the the mech will sort of has sort of extra pivots on it so that it can move further out to reach those those big gears uh, so just, on the back it just lets it cover a larger cassette yeah. possibly right so okay. it's a it's a different engineering design to the traditional um sort of parallelogram shape that you've got on your your traditional mechs it's got yeah, an ex, yeah. extra pivots and it's also under higher tension um so but you know, beyond that, you know, I'm definitely out of my depth, but you yeah. know, the tension can be an issue. I think if you drop the chain on a clutch mech system, then it can be actually quite hard to kind of wrench it back just with the force of your hand. And you know, if you're, if you've been racing or you're out of breath or whatever, you, you know, it can be a bit of a pain to get that chain back on, but yeah, um, yeah. I haven't used one myself. So right. I think uh, I'll, I'll hesitate from no, no, it makes sense. So. I bet, that. I bet yeah. you've got it mostly right there. <laughs> I might listeners have to... can write in about all the things I've got wrong there. Yeah, so. yeah. If you're out there and you know exactly what how clutch uh, drivetrains work, then uh, send me an email uh, and we can get you on the show to explain it. <laughs> 
Um, cool, that was really good. So, on the last bit in Cyclocross then, what uh, skills do you think are most important in it? Do you think it's very similar to mountain biking or what? Tell, uh, tell me the bits you think are similar and what difference. Yes, so I think um, someone who's a good mountain biker who would come to cross would find their skills would work pretty well. They'd, they'd see them pretty pretty. They would not be phased, shall we say, by a, by a cross course. Um, so you need to be able to ride off camber corners. So your your course designers will set it up to be deliberately awkward, so that you will have um, you know an off camber corner that might have a bit of mud on it, and you're going to need to, I think, holding your weight over the bike in certain sort of subtle and delicate ways. Mm-hmm. It is um that's a skill that's probably underrated um, yeah. i think and uh but if you're if you're mountain biking on all sorts of uneven terrain that's the sort of thing that would come quite naturally to you whereas for road riders who go to cross that's something that they might struggle with um so so there's that and there's having your weight forward or back you know being able to get traction on your on your back wheel and that's something else that will uh, come naturally to, to a, mountain, a mountain biker. Um, the other skill that might not they might not be um, so used to is dismounting and remounting. So, as I've mentioned earlier, with barriers or or hills, um, one of the things that your course designer or your race organizer will try to force you to do is to have to get off the bike at some point. Mm. And um, if you're trying to, you need to try and keep your speed through those bits. So, there's a particular technique to kind of swing in your leg round. Um, you know, taking your one of your hands off the brakes onto the top tube, breaking straight into a run, lifting the bike up, you know, jumping over the barrier if it's a wooden barrier, setting the bike back down and hopping back onto it in one um, one motion. And if you're if you get really pro at it, you're able to leap onto the bike and just land straight in the saddle. Um, and it looks like uh, a, quite a potentially painful maneuver if you you land square on the saddle for men or women (laughs) and um but you know there's a particular technique to that and it does save you a few seconds if you don't have to sort of stutter step and jump back on your bike you just leap straight on it clip right back into the pedals and off you go then you really carry your speed through those those kind of bits um so that's uh that's one that is obvious when you watch races on tv or you see other people doing it you think right how do i how do i do that and it's just something that takes a bit of practice i suppose it's like you know bunny hopping or learning to do drop-offs it's something that you can you can learn i suppose the other um the other thing that i would i would think is just cornering is just absolutely key in cyclocross races so being able to the course will have lots of you know dead 180 turns or 90 degree turns that you know may or may not be slippy and you have to carry your speed as much speed as you can through these corners um and the the folk who are fastest are the ones who can corner the best so they they're not afraid to the extent that they have to break and slow down for this corner they will just smoothly go through as fast as they they can without coming off or losing their their grip and um uh you know you know the the classic way that that's um taught is you go tape to tape so if you're if you imagine a a u shape the course is going around a 180 turn in a u shape and you've got sort of plastic tape demarcating the outside of the course you would and let's say it's a left hand turn you're going to start on the right right out by the tape 
you're going to cut the apex of the turn and then you're going to take it right back out wide to the other side of the course and sort of brush the, the plastic tape on the other side. So okay. it's just trying to um, take that that line, that fastest line. So Yeah, yeah. I imagine that that would get quite fun when you when it's such quick laps. You build. I mean, you're going around certain corners. Uh, well, all of the corners, like five or six times. Uh, yeah. So you can kind of refine it every time. Definitely. Um, yeah. Is that is that kind of how you think about it? Yeah, and that's something I really enjoy when I do the races. Is um, some sometimes you can really nail one particular section. I'm sure it's the same in the you know the the mountain biking enduros and long. Uh, 24s and things that you do you're you, you are coming back around to those features and you yeah. might just try to um hit them uh just a bit sweeter or a bit better a bit faster that yeah. that next time um and uh yeah that's definitely one of the it's one of the challenges and rewards i suppose you could say the other quite interesting thing with cross is that the course can change over the course of an hour so mm. um because the fields tend to be quite large um you know 100 riders maybe um, it, it can get more churned up as you go so you know the best line or the the optimum speed that you can take that might change and you might actually have to be getting off um, after half of the race and, and running it or yeah. you might just have to completely reduce the speed that you take that corner at or, or something like that as it yeah. as things develop so yeah, yeah. Um, can be quite interesting uh, a lot of it i mean it, a lot of it does sound like it parallels some of the bigger races on your mountain bike as well i mean you, yeah. you mentioned a 24 hour race in there and um someone popped out me there I, I i can't imagine right now i was thinking at the time we did relentless a couple of weeks ago as a team of two um, and actually it was a wimpy team of two on my part because my brother was doing two thirds and i was doing one third so <laughs> i was only doing eight hours because um, he's training for some really big races right now. And I couldn't imagine doing three times as much as that. It was just like, how would you keep riding for 24 hours? But I, I remember at about seven in the morning or something, getting just this little kind of semi-epiphany of how you how you would handle it. Because I just, I came round a corner and it was about the fifth or the sixth time I'd done it. And I knew it was coming up because I'd done it so many times and I knew the line I'd taken last time and time before. And just like you say, you're just refining it each time and trying to just hit it perfectly. And I think I did that one time, hit it just perfectly how I'd planned to. And it just made me think, that must be what, that must be how you do it. That must be like, if you're doing it for 24 hours, you're doing 24 laps. The only way to survive is just to, you know, break it right up and think, here's that bit, here's that bit, here's that bit. Can I do yeah. that bit better, that bit faster? So, Yeah. It's interesting. I, I think the cy cyclocross appeals to me in that sense, in that you're all you're doing it so quick, you're doing it so often that yeah, you must be able to feel like you're really improving on a really quick basis, like it's really quick repetitions. <laughs> yep, and you know, improving your skills is one way to get a lot faster. So, um, we'll maybe talk about training a wee bit later, but um, in terms of the the courses and the lines you can take and off camber and the dismount and remount and handling in mud if you can if you're thinking of trying cross and uh, you like it but you know it's a bit um disjointed if you like your your the way you're riding to, to practice some of those things in a park or um, you know find a club or get some uh, training sessions from a from a coach can you can really 
come on leaps and bounds just with a bit of um, deliberate practice on on off cambers or different yeah, features yeah. Um, that can really you can really speed up and get a lot smoother just with a wee bit of careful sort of repetition so yeah, yeah, yeah. something that something that quite a lot of people don't don't realize how uh, how many gains or how much gains you can make if that makes sense yeah no i i always remember thinking that every time we went down to Mitchell Glen Tress earlier on i always wanted to just spend a day or an afternoon at least like just session in some of the sections just to get much better at it because most of the time you get out you just do one lap and so you're only doing it once every couple of weeks so you never really get that much better at certain sections do you get the opportunity to practice so yeah that kind of deliberate just spending an hour on one bit makes such a difference i think yeah and i think if you're racing and you're wanting to be fast that's something that is uh natural to be doing whereas if you're just out for uh you know pleasure riding i've kind of felt this when i was mountain biking with locally was that i wanted to get better but it felt like overkill to go back and like session one bit yeah one drop off it felt like you kind of taking it a bit too seriously or trying <laughs> try too hard. But that yeah. is the way to get better is to put in a bit of practice. You maybe do that on your own or something um, if you feel self-conscious about it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> cool. No, that's really interesting. Thanks for that one. I, I mean, I know I've kind of peppered you with questions about cyclocross sure. for the last little while, yeah. but in the last few months. But uh, that's really good to just get a, a massive uh, overview of this sport yeah, and I hope well, it, yeah, I'm sure it's been interesting to the folk listening so uh, if you're out there you fancy trying a, a cyclocross race where, where would you look actually I mean there'll be there's a fair few listeners in Scotland but do you know England too like the UK at least okay so well um, for in Scotland I'm just checking uh, the address now but it's um, <laughs> Scottish Cyclocross Associate Association mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, I think it's SCX mm-hmm dot org cool don't worry i can link to them in the show notes so there's no need to get it uh, exactly right uh, if you know the organization is there a similar one in england as well um so i'm not familiar with um how it's organized in england i think probably the best place to look for races would be the british cycling website and uh, then to filter filter down by region um whereas in scotland we have a sort of a dedicated body to promote that discipline of the sports that's been championing it for quite a while whereas i don't think there's exactly the same um exactly the same uh equivalent in england it would would check the british cycling website and um you you can filter on cyclocross and your region you there'll be races that you'll be able to see there yeah cool and I shall look up the uh, international organisations. I'm sure there's one in the US and Australia and places like that. So I'll look them up and stick them in the show notes for anybody who's interested. Um, that'd be good. So, right, I've kept you longer than I intended to already. But I do want to ask you about, we were chatting recently about your uh, the habits you've been working on. So let's try and cover this in a few minutes. Like just what, I'll maybe sure. get you back on at some point and talk about this properly. Sure thing. And your training and everything. Because you, you're sort of, you're, you always seem very dedicated to your training, really good at sticking to it. Um, yeah, so um, you're t- talking about in terms of strength and flexibility. Yeah, exactly. And like that. Yeah, so you've been you've been trying to stick to it. And this is something I've been trying to do as well in the last few weeks. So I'm interested to hear what you're doing right now. So what, what does your strength and your uh, flexibility look like right now? Yeah, so um, what I'm doing is something called uh, GMB. So it's uh, this is an online course that you can do um, called Gymnastic Bodies. Um, and uh, there are a few different uh, 
companies or websites out there at the moment that do do that sort of thing where it's um, strength and flexibility programs that incorporate elements of yoga gymnastics um, you know body weight exercises where you're you're not lifting weights you're just kind of lifting your own body stuff like that and all of this came from um, I used to suffer from back pain when on the bike um, and I tried various different ways to kind of get rid of that and slowly um, through going to physios, getting massage, and kind of started to figure out which bits of my body, which joints were kind of leading to that pain. And so it seems to be mostly sit, spending my whole day sitting at work leads to sort of tight hips, which goes up into your lower back. Um, and uh, the other issue was just the way my keyboard and computer was set up. So I was kind of craning forward and getting sore neck and shoulders. So I tried to change my posture and keep good habits um, uh, at work, uh, but also um, started these strength strength programs to try and um, get extra flexibility in my hips and just, I think, just better all around strength. So the GMB system is designed to not to make give you sort of huge pecs and massive guns or anything. It's more just to give you your body um, good general strength for like everyday things like uh, you know, taking the bins out or <laughs> lifting up your child, uh, you know, things like... Yeah, real strength. <laughs> every, Useful everyday strength. things that, to be honest, quite often are things that can cause you an injury. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, it's... Uh, and the exercises are very uh, sort of unspectacular uh, and simple. So it's, um, you know, it's things like... Uh, well, it's sort of yoga type movements or stretches um, on the ground or weird sort of uh, sort of frog hops and uh, um, movements that are a bit like if you if you know yoga, the head down dog, downward facing dog um, type movement where your your body's kind of um, bent over in a in a sort of pyramid shape and you're, you're trying to sort of walk on your hands a little bit and it's um, it's developing just the strength the, the motor skills of different muscles in your in different parts of your body that that mean you can um move around um fluidly and yeah. uh and, and and so i i found that's that certainly it's helped my back it's helped my sort my hips to loosen off yeah. um things like that and it's almost prevention rather than cure so yeah, for a yeah. while i was getting getting massage and physio and i it, i felt like i had to keep going back in order to keep my body right because sitting at a desk and riding the bike a lot were essentially unnatural positions to be in um uh, and so when i looked at maybe prevention rather than cure it's kind of getting into more squat positions uh, you know learning how to lift properly and get flexibility in your back so that you can twist behind you um without you know causing causing a problem things like that so um so how how um, often is that? How often and how long is this workout? Okay, so it's. I mean, the course that I was on, the idea was to do it daily for like ten, twenty minutes or something like that. And um, for, during the summer, um, sort of August this year, I, I kept that up, sort of daily practice, or maybe six times a week um, for. You know, 20 minutes and that's quite an effort to to keep that up every mm. day um more more recently it's more like two three times a week um mm. that i'll do it um and uh yeah and you've have you seen much effect from it have you felt the benefit 
You know, definitely. I think um, I, I've just got less, fewer aches and pains. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I mean, I suppose the the real um, the real benchmark, if you like, is have I because I would get um, back strains kind of maybe a couple of times a year. And I don't know if you've suffered from this, but I'm sure listeners out there will know the kind of thing where if you, you tweak a muscle, you tweak a little muscle, your whole back seizes up and you're kind of um, sort of moving about like C-3PO for like two or three days. And then um, from Star Wars reference, if anyone doesn't know, and, and then when it, it loosens off and you're kind of back to normal, but that can be incredibly painful and it could be quite deep debilitating yeah, i would yeah. i would do that sort of a, a tweak once or twice a year and you know i've certainly not done it this year and touch wood i think i'm i the idea is that i'm getting towards uh, a better physical state of physical sort of strength if you like where yeah. if i don't overdo it if i don't start trying to you know lift uh, heavy weights you know, i'm just going to be less susceptible to, to that kind of thing so yeah. Did, you, did you set yourself any benchmark when you started this? It, it, it just strikes me, whenever, whenever I try and do these kind of programs, if the only thing, I, I don't know, I'm quite a, a numbers-based person or a goals-based yep. yep. person, so I need, to, I need to see progress. Sure. So with GMB, um, when you start the program, um, they're just trying to get you um, to be able to do certain positions and movements. And so they're in the basics course, the three movements, the the frogger, the bear and the monkey. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are three different uh, positions you put your body in. And uh, to start with, if you haven't tried them before, they could be quite kind of awkward to get into um, and uh towards the end of, I think it's seven or eight weeks, um, towards the end, you're kind of working up to try and perform some of these for kind of five minutes in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, five minutes continuously, I should say. Um, so the um, you know, the frogger is kind of a, a frog type hop where you've got two hands on the floor and your um, you're, 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 you're knees are splayed out either side of your hands and you're kind of hopping up and down right. <laughs> like, like that. And it's pretty tiring. So. Yeah. When you first learn it, you do that for about uh, a minute, and then you can write, um, "I need to stop this." So the idea is, you could do that for five minutes, or you could then, um, as you become more advanced, you can incorporate that with the different movements together into a sort of a free-flowing um, movement. So you can you can link them together, and it starts to look a bit like a sort of a floor gymnastics type exercise where you're. Um, and you know that was just the, the basics program that I downloaded. Um, it's a website, and then when you, you sign in, you get videos, um, uh, and then you can you can go on and do more advanced ones to do things like handstands and uh, the splits if you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, you know those ones didn't appeal to me quite as much as a cyclist. They're a lot focused on upper body strength, and uh, which which I'm not. You know, I don't really want to you know have huge biceps or anything i'm more interested in getting power in my legs so there is a squats um uh, a squats tutorial so that once i'd completed the basics i went and looked at that and um it takes you right back to looking at the flexibility of your joints and um that you need to do a good squat so it you assess your ankle flexibility and your hip flexibility. And I found that the ankle was the area of weakness for me. So the past two or three weeks, I've just been focusing on that. And there's some weird movements that that you do 
uh, on the ankle tutorial and that's a free one actually pe that people could go and look for okay. um, uh, GMB uh, ankle uh, ankle tutorial if we'll, we'll find that and put that in the, the show notes but yeah. um, you know it's things like turning your feet in circles with your toes clenched or extended feet moving your feet up and down with the toes kind of clenched or splayed out and doing sort of diagonal patterns with your feet, which sounds simple, but they're actually quite tricky to do. Um, and that's just to try and get flexibility um, in there so that um, you can, the idea for me is that I'll go, then go on and do some more squat exercises and that'll hopefully um, develop a bit of strength in my legs. Uh, so it's something different as well. Um, and it's quite a, um, a sort of mindful exercise if you like where you're encouraged to sort of think about how the body feels and concentrate on it and it can take your mind off things yeah. in that kind of way um rather than you know hammering hammering the gym in a mm. slightly um stressing you out manic way yeah it's more about listening to your body and feeling where the where the pain or tension might be and sort of um sort of feeling out different areas that might need a bit of extra flexibility so you can work on them yeah yeah no, that so, sounds really it sounds really interesting it appeals to me for a few different reasons like the fact that it's body weight exercises only for a start because every time i try and do some kind of strength routine i tend to find you need something and then you know you're away for a week you can't do it so it falls yep. down uh the fact that it combines flexibility and strength too because yeah every time you you know, you spend time doing strength training, then you tend to tighten up a little bit just because you are getting sore and stronger and stuff and therefore it doesn't help with other things. So the fact that they're tied together is really cool. Um, and yeah, the, the mindfulness aspect of it as well is quite good, quite nice. It's just relaxing. Yeah, sounds cool. <laughs> I need to look it yep. up. It's funny actually you mentioned that because I, I did look into it a little while back. It was... I, I, I didn't know you were going to say that before. I know we talked about the fact you were doing this, but I didn't know that was a program. But it was, um, I'd heard about it on the Tim Ferriss show because he got one of the guys from, uh, that designed the program yeah. or one of the runners of it uh, was on his show. So I was, I had looked up from that. Yeah. So that's actually a different program. So oh, Coach right? Summer. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the guy was called Coach Summer, yes. uh, who is the, the the guy that Tim Ferriss um, interviewed. And the two, there's two sort of rival programs, and I think uh -huh. they're, they're they're quite similar. And the the Tim Ferriss guy is more a bit a little bit more focused on the gymnastics side of things and right. doing some of those um, sort of pull ups and ring um, exercises on the yeah. gymnastic rings and things. So that yeah. there's a lot of similarities. The one that I'm doing is there's a bit more. Um, there's a little bit more sort of yoga and um, I think uh, possibly some capoeira type things that have been yeah. built into it. So it's a slightly less athletic and performance-based um, system that yeah. is the, the one that I'm doing. I think they're both called GMB though, which is confusing. One's gymnastic bodies and the other one's gold medal bodies or something like that. Right. So. Um, well, that, I'm glad I asked then, because that, yeah, the the other one was called gymnastic bodies too. So yeah, I need to make sure yeah. I find the right one. <laughs> but you know, you know, either either of those would you know they're interesting as something yeah. different if you're looking yeah. for strength, and they're both they both um, look at uh, your flexibility and strength from really from the bottom up. 
So, and on the Tim Ferriss interview, the guy was talking about the the strength of your connective tissue and joints as being something that's fundamental before you can learn to go on and do, you know, bigger weights and whether that's um, you know lifting with your with your legs for cycling or if it's your upper body for something else. Yeah, yeah. You need to you need to get the the ground the grounding in place before you even want to start thinking about doing, you know, pull ups or whatever it is. So. Yeah, yeah. Okay, no, that was great. I thought I, I bet you a lot of people will be interested in that stuff. And we'll yeah, look it up. So we'll put that here. Yeah. That'll be in the show notes. Uh, you can find the show notes at mountainbikesapart.com forward slash, let's call it CX1, Cyclocross <laughs> 1. We usually have uh, a series code, but this is a wee in between our uh, episodes. So yeah, call it mountainbikesapart forward slash, mountainbikesapart.com forward slash CX1. And you'll find the show notes for this. Um, Owen, I could talk to you for another couple of hours, I'm sure, but uh, I'll need to get you back on again to talk about some other stuff instead, because that's, that's uh, nearly around an hour now. So, be delighted. Cool. Well, thanks, thanks again for coming on. Me. Oh, do you know what we need to mention? You do a podcast yourself. Where can people find your own podcast? Yeah. So, um, my website's owenphillipson.com forward slash blog, and uh, the the podcast is called the Scottish Cycling Podcast. Um, so I've been doing that for about 11 episodes, I think. Um, and that's just to explore Scottish cycling and racing past, present and future. That's the, the little mission statement. So uh, it's mostly r- the racing side of things. There's quite a bit, of th- there's quite a few cyclocross episodes there. Um, if you find me, there's some on, um, courses and, um, officiating and, uh, different, different things like that. And I've done one with Kerry McPhee as well, who I know you had on back way back in the day. So if yeah. people remember her and want to hear where she's up to, um, that was, it's a few months ago now that I did an interview with her, but, uh, that was, that was a good chat that we had as well. So, um, people can find that. Yeah, cool. So yeah, if you found the cyclocross stuff interesting earlier on, definitely recommend you go and have a listen. Uh, I've been uh, really enjoying it actually, listening along. So yeah, good stuff. Now, uh, that is it for this episode. We'll go on and uh, I'm trying to think whether there's anything. We don't have plans to start the next season for another few weeks yet, but Tom and I will be back very soon. We'll update you. Um, I am going to put out another in between our season actually around Relentless 24. I did a few recordings through the race. I tried to do a recording after every lap to uh, gauge my mood uh, and see (laughs) how miserable I got through the night. Uh, I don't think it was too bad, but I'm going to try and put it together into an episode that I'll put out in probably the next two weeks. So that'll be another one before we start the next season. But Tom and I are planning the next season, so we'll be back in not too long a time. I imagine now, actually, it'll be probably straight after Christmas. We'll probably try and get it out uh, first couple of weeks of January for season uh, to start the season of 2017. That'll be a good place to start it. So. Thanks again for listening anyway. Thanks again for following along. Thanks for bearing with us during the season break. And I hope this has given you a little bit of food for thought during that time. We'll talk to you next time.